Welcome to a Consumer Franks podcast. In this podcast, we are going to examine the issue of climate change and how it affects the choices made by holidaymakers. I am Frank Brehenning. There is nothing like walking down that ramp to the aircraft and finding your chosen seat. The sense that within a few short hours you will arrive at your holiday destination, free of all life's stresses, is the reward for saving heart for that precious two weeks in the sun. As you whiz across the wide blue yonder, the earth below looks tranquil and the sky above radiates with different hues of blue. As you contemplate life below, your view is peppered with the sight of aircraft flying above and below, leaving behind them a smoke and vapour trail from each of its jet engines. Even as you cross over the oceans, you may be able to see similar plumes of smoke locked in stasis from the ships below. When you walk along the ramp at your final destination, you may smell the scent of aviation fuel and oils. You may even notice how the aprons at the airport are pockmarked with oily stains. Even in your resort, you may notice the smell of exhaust fumes from the many tourist buses that ferry holidaymakers to and from their hotels and the airport. It may even remind you of the fumes and smoke you experience on the roads around your home or city centre. I know, I get it. You were attracted by the shining sun, blue skies and pristine beaches. But just as everything you do in your daily life at home, Your footprint also has a similar consequence, even when you're on holiday. There's nothing scientific about that. It's a fact. I think it's fair to say that if most people were asked, they would be horrified if they dropped litter or accidentally spilt petrol or oil that would affect their neighbours or indeed polluted the water table. At work, people comply with rules and regulations about their handling of chemicals or toxins necessary for their work. They would not expect their children to be constantly subjected to fumes from cars in the street, but they are. There is much debate about the rights and wrongs of climate change with industrial and some political interests, as is typical in all calls of action, to label the science as questionable the tactics as wrong, or calling people names such as uncooperative crusties, as our Prime Minister has done. Into the mix of this debate, not often discussed, is the question of choice. With the question of choice comes affordability. So for example, do consumers have a choice when it comes to the type of aircraft they fly on? Well, no. Aircraft are what they are generically designed, and as the Aviation Environment Federation states, environmental technology within aircraft has not been able to keep pace with the growth in air travel, and they point to government forecasts that annual fleet efficiency improvements are set to grow at less than 1%, that's less than 1%, between now and 2050. So can consumers choose an airline or aircraft that uses a different fuel? Well, potentially yes, 
But aircraft using biofuels are only at the stage of testing and such a wide-scale implementation appears a long way off. Of course, there is the promise of electrification, but again, that's only in the development stages and is again some way off, so consumers would appear to have little choice. So the second question of affordability doesn't even come into consideration, because the initial question produces the answer of limited or no choice. Even in the era of cruising, whilst great regulatory strides have been made to clean up ship engine emissions, we now see that some shipping companies are allegedly sidestepping the rules and in some cases apparently dumping toxins into the sea. Again, how would a consumer know the right choice to make when on the one hand they are presented with information that satisfies their desire to use cleaner transport and then on the other hand there is an industry practice which apparently flouts the rules? This conflict for consumers is never discussed or debated by politicians, yet politicians' words expect a higher standard from us all. So in light of these issues, I decided to go and meet some of the so-called uncooperative Crusties to ask them what they thought about consumers and holidays. You cannot have escaped the news about the widespread protests being carried out by members and supporters of Extinction Rebellion, so I took myself to London to see what their views might be about holidaymakers and climate change. So I'm here in the heart of Whitehall, right opposite the Cabinet Office, next to the War Memorial for the Women of World War II. And as you can probably hear in the background, uh, there are uh, protesters singing Amazing Grace. And uh, there are all sorts of age groups here, uh, all sorts of different stratas, different demographics. Um, it really is uh, probably one of the most remarkable sights I think I've seen here down my time at Westminster and just up to my left uh, there is a mother's march for climate change uh, where there are dozens upon dozens of uh, buggies and people sitting on the ground singing it's extremely good-natured very heavy presence uh, of police here in Whitehall uh, and indeed I believe at one stage they actually stop people from uh, passing up and down here. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to uh, see if I can speak to one or two of the protesters uh, to get their view on aviation consumers, to get them to give me their thoughts on what should happen uh, next. As I walked along Whitehall, I spoke to a number of people, uh, some of whom didn't wish to be interviewed. But I discovered with some that they had already made important decisions about how they travel and the climate footprint they leave behind. One lady told me about her journey from Japan to Milton Keynes. She didn't fly, she took the whole journey by train, listing all the countries that she had travelled through. It was quite an exotic journey. But I couldn't help think that for many holidaymakers, they would probably have loved to be able to take such a journey, but they have jobs and a limited time off work. So for many of them, it simply would not be practical. I was fortunate to be able to meet one of Extinction Rebellion spokespersons, Tom Sinclair, 
and I began by asking him about what he thought about consumers and their choice to fly, and what would he say to them? Well, my views are that um, consumers are um, laudable if they think about the effect that their choices have, but the problem we have about climate change and ecosystem collapse is basically a structural one, it's systemic, and it's an intriguing but worrying aspect of the structure of um, economic and political structures that we live in that we are very much encouraged to think that our consumer choices are what matters. And that of course allows the system which incentivizes uh, widespread um, choices which are very harmful to the environment and incentivizes um, or, or rather allows corporates and um, businesses and politics which is harmful to the environment to go ahead unchallenged because consumers think really they have to look inside themselves at their own choices. Now of course it's true if, if everybody were to choose never to fly, never to drive, etc, etc, then sure that would solve many of the problems that we have, although not all of them. But it's just not true that the, if many people who care about this electing to take a few less flights is going to make the difference that we need. We're in, we're in a huge hurry. We have, the science is pretty clear now that we have 10 years, maybe less, to make some radical changes if we want to be sure of avoiding or even have a decent chance of avoiding catastrophic climate change um, and catastrophic ecosystem collapse. And I, I personally doubt very much that spreading the word about consumer choice, reducing flights and so forth, is going to be the thing that makes the difference. We need systemic action by people with their hands on the levers of power. And we don't want to be, and, and, and Extinction Rebellion here really does not blame and shame individuals for their, their private choices. We're not about that. That's why we're outside that, Downing that's Street. That's interesting to hear. And, and actually, I just want to pick up on a theme that you raised there about the systemic change. Effectively, it needs to be a top-down change, I think yeah, you're saying. I think that's right. I mean, um, just to get your views on this, I was reading that um, uh, between now and uh, 2050, uh, for example, aircraft engine efficiency uh, in terms of improving its output as far as its operations are concerned is only going to increase by less than 1%. 1%? I mean, that's crazy, surely? Yeah, that's right. Um, even though the aircraft industry does make grand claims about improving efficiency, we are decades and decades away from um, carbon, carbon neutral aircraft or air travel. There is absolutely no chance that on current rates of expansion we would be able via these technological means to compensate for the emissions that are um, sorry the emissions that are created by by flying. It's worth remembering that um, in this country, uh, I think it's 50% um, of people or 49% of people never fly. Um, we often talk. People often talk about you know climate uh, climate campaigners want to take away people's holidays. You know they won't let them go for their little package holiday. But that's actually a caricature. Most people are not taking those flights. Um, I think the around 51% of um, the flights are taken by something like the top the 20% wealthiest and um, and the 5% wealthiest account for something like 20% of the flights. I can't remember the exact stats, but it's very close to that. Yes. That's, it's really interesting. There's another point I picked up uh, probably about a week ago. I was reading a, a report because the cruise industry is really big here yes. in this country and throughout Europe. But I was reading that the 
changes to the emissions on cruise ships are being bypassed, or general shipping, maybe not just cruise ships, but general shipping is being bypassed, and uh, um, some of this to some of the toxic waste has been dumped into the oceans. Is this? I suppose it comes back to this theme of uh, the top down. Is this really about poor enforcement? Do do you think we need better enforcement as far as uh, current climate targets and rules are concerned? I think we need better targets, um, and sure. then we need them to be enforced. So right now we have um, some very weak targets. The Paris Agreement targets are themselves not strong enough to um, avert the risk of catastrophic change. So the, the Paris Agreement targets um, leave, even if even if the targets themselves were met, according to the science, we would be left still with a one third to fifty fifty chance of not avoiding catastrophic change. Yeah. And on top of that, we're not meeting those targets anyway. We're nowhere near meeting them. Um, the, the government's own Committee on Climate Change in this country has said we're not on track to meet them and we're supposed to be a global leader on this. Yeah. Um, so the more ambitious targets that would be needed uh, are the first thing. And then the enforcement of them is the second thing. But absolutely, yeah. we need more, yeah. Yes. Well, thank you very much for joining me. It's a pleasure. And, uh, You'll hear me on the at the uh, at Consumer Frank podcast. I'm really delighted. I'm sure the consumers who are listening to this podcast uh, will be better informed. I'm very grateful. To and you. I, you. I hope they'll I hope they'll come and join the rebellion. They, they shouldn't be blaming themselves for their own choices. They should be joining the push for systemic change. That's great to hear. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. All of this brings me back to my initial point: consumer choice and affordability. Now, Tom makes a valid set of points, particularly that the focus on consumer behaviour is the wrong focus on climate change. If you like, our consumer activities should be reversed back to those who produce the goods we consume. The producers of products that emit toxins either through their extraction or subsequent creation into that consumer product or service and along with governments, they should be the centre of any action on climate change. The imperative and urgency on climate change has been demonstrated clearly by the protesters, with one standing up in an aircraft and warning his fellow passengers that we only have two generations before a climate disaster unless action is taken. The Aviation Environment Federation state that emissions from air traffic will rise from its current share in the UK of 6% to 25% by 2050. Globally, it is expected to grow between 4 and 15%. Importantly, they consider that the effect of aviation's non-CO2 effect, that is, the water vapour and nitrous oxide also being ejected by aircraft engines, could double the warming impact of aviation. Consider also Airbus's predictions that global air traffic is set to grow by 4.3% each year, requiring an extra 39,200 aircraft by 2038. And we should have regard to the expose this week in The Guardian, about the polluters, that is the oil companies, industry, and those who it is claimed to be working against the science of climate change. Remarkable, isn't it, that industries like oil knew back in 1965 of the likely impact on the Earth's climate from an increased production and use of oil products. 
Their tactics are private reports commissioning their own science, and a dominating commentary reminds me of another scandal that greatly affected consumers, that of smoking and the tobacco industry. So where does this leave holidaymakers? Well, I think at this moment in time, we are where we are. I understand that it is confusing for consumers with the competing voices and strands of information, or indeed disinformation. I take the view, because of my experience in other areas, that Tom is correct. The action of governments, both national and transnational, is needed urgently to address this already beckoning crisis. It is exactly the same problem in less critical but nonetheless important consumer areas where similar non-governmental action can be found. If and when they do take the requisite action on climate change, they will do so no doubt with regard to various industries called to slow the pace. But they should simply point to the fact that industry have played their cards to their advantage and to the advantage of economic systems. But the time has come for a reset. Now, a reset will not happen overnight, but it will have to happen quickly. And I suspect that some of the solutions that have been advocated will suddenly and miraculously appear. But in isolation, they will not be the panacea to the broader issues of pollution and climate change. Where I slightly disagree with Tom is that I do believe that we all have an individual responsibility. It would, as you heard, take a massive change in consumer habits by not flying or travelling to begin to reverse climate change. But that's not what is needed right now. Where I particularly disagree is exactly what I've always said, that every single one of us has that individual responsibility. I believe that we should play our own small part, even if we don't want to join a protest. So, for example, as I do, we should offset our flights and make our footprint carbon neutral. We should consider whether a train journey is better than taking, uh, for example, an airplane or indeed travelling by car. We should ask difficult questions of cruise companies. For example, do you dump toxic waste from your ship's engines into the sea? These are all small steps, but equally important. Perhaps by even taking these actions, we too can join the ever-growing number of protesters out there, right now on our streets. Isn't it time that you as a consumer, who is in fact a citizen, be heard by your government and industry about the kind of world you would like to live in and how you consume in that world? Until the next time, take care.